Chapter One of The Egoist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Egoist by George Meredith. Chapter One A Minor Incident Showing an Hereditary Aptitude in the Use of the Knife. There was an ominously anxious watch of eyes, visible and invisible, over the infancy of Willoughby, fifth in descent from Simon Pattern, of Pattern Hall, premier of this family, a lawyer, a man of solid acquirements and stout ambition, who well understood the foundation work of a house, and was endowed with the power of saying no to those first agents of destruction, besieging relatives. He said it with the resonant emphasis of death to younger sons. For if the oak is to become a stately tree, we must provide against the crowding of timber. Also the tree beset with parasites prospers not. A great house in its beginning lives, we may truly say, by the knife. Soil is easily got, and so are bricks, and a wife and children come of wishing for them, but the vigorous use of the knife is a natural gift and points to growth. Pauper patterns were numerous when the fifth head of the race was the hope of his county. A pattern was in the marines. The country and the chief of this family were simultaneously informed of the existence of one Lieutenant Crossjay pattern, of the corps of the famous hard fighters, through an act of heroism of the unpretending cool sort which kindles British blood, on the part of the modest young officer, in the storming of some eastern river-rain stronghold, somewhere about the coast of China. The officer's youth was assumed on the strength of his rank, perhaps likewise from the tale of his modesty. He had only done his duty. Our Willoughby was then at college, emulous of the generous enthusiasm of his years, and strangely impressed by the report, and the printing of his name in the newspapers. He thought over it for several months, when, coming to his title and heritage, he sent Lieutenant Crossjay Pattern a cheque for a sum of money amounting to the gallant fellow's pay per annum, at the same time showing his acquaintance with the first, or chemical, principles of generosity, in the remark to friends at home that, blood is thicker than water. The man is a marine, but he is a pattern. How any pattern should have drifted into the marines is of the order of questions which are senselessly asked of the great dispensary. In the complimentary letter accompanying his cheque, the lieutenant was invited to present himself at the ancestral hall, when convenient to him, and he was assured that he had given his relative and friend a taste for a soldier's life. Young Sir Willoughby was fond of talking of his military namesake and distant cousin, young Pattern, the Marine. It was funny, and not less laughable was the description of his namesake's deed of valour, with the rescued British sailor inebriate, and the hauling off to captivity of the three braves of the black dragon on a yellow ground, and the tying of them together back to back by their pigtails, and driving of them into our lines upon a newly devised dying-top style of march that inclined to the oblique, like the astonished six eyes of the celestial prisoners, for straight they could not go. The humour of gentlemen at home is always highly excited by such cool feats. We are a small island, but you see what we do. The ladies at the hall, Sir Willoughby's mother and his aunts Eleanor and Isabel, were more affected than he by the circumstance of their having a pattern in the marines. But how then? 
We English have ducal blood in business. We have, genealogists tell us, royal blood in common trades. For all our pride we are a queer people, and you may be ordering butcher's meat of a Tudor, sitting on the cane-bottomed chairs of a Plantagenet. By and by you may. But cherish your reverence. Young Willoughby made a kind of shock-head or football hero of his gallant distant cousin, and wondered occasionally that the fellow had been content to dispatch a letter of effusive thanks, without availing himself of the invitation to partake of the hospitalities of Patterne. He was one afternoon parading between showers on the stately garden terrace of the hall, in company with his affianced, the beautiful and dashing Constantia Durham, followed by knots of ladies and gentlemen vowed to fresh air before dinner, while it was to be had. Chancing with his usual happy fortune—we call these things dealt to us out of the great hidden dispensary, chance to glance up the avenue of limes, as he was in the act of turning on his heel at the end of the terrace, and it should be added— discoursing with passion's privilege of the passion of love to Miss Durham. Sir Willoughby, who was anything but obtuse, experienced a presentiment upon espying a thick-set stumpy man crossing the gravel space from the avenue to the front steps of the hall, decidedly not bearing the stamp of the gentleman, on his hat, his coat, his feet, or anything that was his. Willoughby subsequently observed the ladies of his family, in the scriptural style of gentlemen who do bear the stamp. His brief sketch of the creature was repulsive. The visitor carried a bag, and his coat-collar was up. His hat was melancholy. He had the appearance of a bankrupt tradesman absconding. No gloves, no umbrella. As to the incident we have to note, it was very slight. The card of Lieutenant Pattern was handed to Sir Willoughby, who laid it on the salver, saying to the footman, "'Not at home.' He had been disappointed in the age, grossly deceived in the appearance of the man claiming to be his relative in this unseasonable fashion, and his acute instinct advised him swiftly of the absurdity of introducing to his friends a heavy unpresentable senior as the celebrated gallant lieutenant of marines, and the same as a member of his family. He had talked of the man too much, too enthusiastically, to be able to do so. A young subaltern, even if passably vulgar in figure, can be shuffled through by the aid of the heroical story humorously exaggerated in apology for his aspect. Nothing can be done with a mature and stumpy marine of that rank. Considerateness dismisses him on the spot, without parley. It was performed by a gentleman supremely advanced at a very early age in the art of cutting. Young Sir Willoughby spoke a word of the rejected visitor to Miss Durham, in response to her startled look. "'I shall drop him a cheque,' he said, for she seemed personally wounded, and had a face of crimson. The young lady did not reply. Dating from the humble departure of Lieutenant Crossjay Pattern up the Lime Avenue under a gathering rain-cloud, the ring of imps in attendance on Sir Willoughby maintained their station with strict observation of his movements at all hours and were comparisons in quest, the sympathetic eagerness of the eyes of caged monkeys for the hand about to feed them, would supply one. They perceived in him a fresh development, and very subtle manifestation of the very old thing from which he had sprung. End of chapter 1